What's up, party people? Welcome to Ditch the Ick, a podcast all about navigating dating, career, and honestly, life in general as a millennial. I'm your host, Katie Carson, 30-something avid dater and entrepreneur. What's up, party people? Welcome to Ditch the Egg. As always, I am Katie Carson, your host, and I am so excited today to be joined by Vicki Viola, your period coach. I've been very vocal about my history and my hysterectomy and all of that, so I'm really excited to sit down with somebody who helps people understand their hormonal cycles, what's normal, what's not, and how to regulate them. So, Vicki, you want to give us a little introduction? Sure. Thank you for having me. So I am Vicki. I am a certified nutrition coach and fertility awareness method educator from New Jersey. And so I work with a lot of women in helping them really transition off of birth control so that they can understand what's going on with their bodies, be able to spot red flags, have conversations with doctors, be able to advocate for themselves, and just really get the support that they need. So I cannot wait to talk all about this today. I'm so excited because I really feel like we were talking before this. I got diagnosed with PCOS at my very first visit at 18. Hmm. And I knew it was off because like my shit was always wild, but you know, they immediately put you on birth control. And also this was like the very early 2000s. So we did know a lot less mm-hmm. than we do now about the long-term effects of that. So I was on it till, for about 10 years. And then finally, I started feeling like I was losing my damn mind. And I was like, I know something is wrong with me, but I cannot figure out what it is. So I was like, let me stop the birth control and just see like what happens. And because I went off, I was able to figure out, oh, you have Hashimoto's. Wow. Okay. Like you have all of these other things. And like now I could actually start connecting with my body in that way and like recognizing what was going on and what was normal for me. And it was just like such a huge turning point in in my life to be able to address all of those things so that I didn't feel like I was literally going insane. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's a pretty common experience from what I'm seeing now in a lot of conversations. Is that something that you come across with women who have been on the pill for a long time? Oh, yeah. So much. So there's so many things I want to touch on. The first is that it really frustrates me that when young girls go to their OB and say, my cycle's irregular, or I'm dealing with really bad cramps, or this, this, or that. It's just go right on birth control. Instead of, why don't we see what goes on for a couple cycles? Or I might refer you to a nutrition professional. Why don't you try a couple things first? And I just get the vibe that it's like, they don't trust us (laughs) with our own bodies, which like kills me. I could talk about that for hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) um, The other thing you said that's just so interesting is like, there is a very strong connection between women with PCOS will also likely have hypothyroid symptoms Mm -hmm. or to the extreme Hashimoto's. And it's like, why not educate on that from the get-go or have those conversations from the beginning, but they don't. (laughs) And glucose intolerance. Oh, oh. It's like the trifecta. Oh, yes. And and that's one of the things that I have learned later in life is like so many of the symptoms, if not like even fully reversing it, can be done through nutrition. Yeah. And like, while I don't go super extreme, I don't really have to anymore, but like I don't go super extreme with it. You know, I still love my life. But like I have noticed that like if I front load a bunch of protein in my morning, 
my blood sugar is regulated throughout the day. I have better energy. Like it just, it's makes the effects and the symptoms a lot less. But I also think that they don't even like look at your ovaries to see if you're actually cystic, which was a real light bulb for me. My first visit with my doctor up here in Tennessee in 2021, you know, I was telling her everything that was going on. I had literally just come off a 40 day period Mm. the morning I went in. (laughs) Apparently I should have probably talked to somebody about that, but I didn't because I was just like, it is what it is. But, you know, I was telling her what's going on. My family history, there's a lot of fibroid tumors. I was like, I'm I'm about to be 35. This is the age where they hit in my family. Can we like look for them? Because I know that that's what this is. And she listened. She did the ultrasound. She did find a fibroid. And she's like, are you sure you have PCOS? Your ovaries look fine. And I was like, I don't know, man. That's what they told me. (laughs) And then even when I had my hysterectomy the next year, she was like, yeah, your ovaries are great. We're going to leave them in. And I was like, okay. Well, and so that's an interesting thing of, okay, so there's so many things here. With PCOS, and again, I can't diagnose this at all, but just from my education, it's not just about the ultrasound and the cystic ovaries. You have to have like high androgens. So getting blood work done, you have to have the symptoms associated with PCOS. And I've also had clients where they'll just have an ultrasound and they'll be like, oh yeah, you have cystic ovaries, so you have PCOS. It's like, well, not not necessarily. Not necessarily. Other things. And going back to the, the thyroid conversation, it's like hypothyroid and Hashimoto's also leads to irregular cycles mm-hmm. and heavy bleeding and all of this. So yeah. I do find there's a lot of like, let's just throw PCOS at someone instead of seeing what could actually be the other condition mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, most people who listen to this podcast are in their like 30s or 40s. And as we know, like there's a lot of changes that happen hormonally around that time and like some shifts. Do you, I know you're not like a medical professional, but you like work in this a lot. As far as like hormonal changes and things or symptoms or red flags, like what are some things women that age should like look out for? And like, like my 40 day period, the doctor was like, why did you not go to the hospital? I was like, I don't know. It just was what it was. Like it wasn't the first time I'd had an abnormally long period. I was always told suck it up buttercup because I was raised in the nineties. But you know, like, you know, so those sorts of things, like when is it that like you should really like look into it or maybe it's just like a stress thing or something like that? Absolutely. So one of the main things that I do with my coaching is I teach the fertility awareness method, which a lot of people don't know what that is. So I'll just explain. Yeah. Basically, FAM is a method of birth control where you use your own body signs of fertility. So you pay Mm -hmm. attention to changes to your cervical mucus you pay attention to things like you can take your temperature and looking for a temperature spike can help confirm ovulation. So that's just like a very quick, short answer about that. But Mm -hmm. with women, as they are starting to get into their later 30s, early 40s, and you're entering into perimenopause, you're going to start to see changes to your cycle. So that might look like if your cycle length is usually 30 days from period to period, maybe you're noticing that that's getting a little bit longer or a little bit shorter. Either can happen, both are red flags. If it happens like once, so let's just Mm -hmm. say you're pretty consistent, 30 days, whatever, you have a 45-day cycle, okay, maybe it was stress. But if that continues to be a pattern, then that could be a big sign that you are starting to go through some of those changes associated with perimenopause. 
And what's happening is you're not ovulating as frequently, and that's what's impacting the length of the cycle to keep it pretty short and basic. Yeah. No, that's super helpful because, I mean, especially as somebody who's had like pretty irregular periods my whole life, and it was just something that I lived with, you know, being prepared. I mean, now it's a little more complicated because I don't have a uterus. So it's like, I don't know what's happening ever. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, I mean, maybe it was PMS. Who knows? Right. Yeah. No. And that's the tough thing. (laughs) You still have ovaries. It's like the hormones are still doing their thing. So. But listen, I'm not in menopause, so I'm not mad about it. Yeah. (laughs) I'll be crazy for a couple of days. It's cool. (laughs) But, you know, like, so, you know, in your experience and when you're working with people, what are some things like, say you're not entering into perimenopause and stuff, like some regular things that, you know, people can do to kind of help regulate, like, especially like PMS, mm-hmm. or I was diagnosed with PMVD a couple of years ago before my surgery, like those types of things can really have an impact on our lives. Yeah. And I love the awareness that TikTok has brought to it with the I don't remember the name of the group, but they go around and they like hook up the period simulators to oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite side of TikTok to be on. Cause they're like, they went into an office and one of them and the guys are like, you come to work like this. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We're expected to live our lives with this. This is nothing for us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what are some things that can like really help or like maybe some things that maybe trigger more extreme symptoms so that women can learn how to watch for those? Definitely. So I'll touch on period cramps first because you just kind of mentioned that. So when I work with someone and I'm trying to help them minimize their period cramps, the biggest thing to focus on is inflammation. And so inflammation can be coming from a lot of different things. But for example, like inflammatory foods are going to be your like junk food, processed foods. So something that I try to say to my clients is like, can we work on minimizing that? So maybe not having as much fried food or as much added sugar in the two weeks leading up to your period. That's super helpful. Um, Another thing that's unfortunately super inflammatory is alcohol. So I say the same thing. It's like those two weeks leading up to your period, try to cut down, try to minimize the amount of alcohol that you are having. Mm -hmm. Managing stress is a big one. And so that really needs to start at the beginning of the cycle. So it's like when you have your period, the first day of your period is cycle day one. So when I say the start of the cycle, it's the beginning of your period. Really working on managing stress from that point on is so helpful because when we're stressed out, our body might not ovulate. It might delay ovulation. And when we don't have a good quality ovulation, that's what's going to make our PMS much worse. So it has a lot to do with like the hormonal activity involved in ovulation. I can explain that. I'll try to keep it very quick. But so basically I'll keep it to just our two main reproductive hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Mm -hmm. We get estrogen and we need estrogen to ovulate. And then after we ovulate, we make progesterone. When we are PMSing, we are having progesterone drop down. That's what's going to cause that next period. But sometimes progesterone might drop a little quickly and then estrogen stays elevated. If there's too much estrogen, that's what leads to PMS. So women with PCOS who aren't ovulating as frequently, 
can be in what's called like an estrogen dominant state. And Mm -hmm. that's what leads to that increased PMS. So we want to ovulate because that's what gives us that good boost of progesterone. Minimizing stress, managing stress also helps to support progesterone. And then there's other like nutrition things that you can be doing too. But I would say minimize the inflammation for period cramps, manage stress. Those are like the biggest things to focus on. Yeah. Which is much easier said than done in today's environment. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the world itself, just existing <laughs> is hard uh, at this point. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, um, I think, you know, we're learning a lot about the long-term effects of birth control and like the impact that it can have both on our physical and mental health, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not just physical impacts. It really does impact your mental health too. For, so this is mostly single women Mm -hmm. listening to this, you know, so they're more active, you know, but they also don't want to be like on the pill. How could like, working with somebody to like get familiar with their cycle, you know, help them in their dating life. Yes. I love that. Um, And I had a feeling this question was going to come up. (laughs) Like I was saying, so when I teach my clients the fertility awareness method, it is the only natural form of birth control that there is because, you know, there is the copper IUD out there, which is not hormonal, but the copper impacts our hormones. So mm-hmm. it's not 100% without side effects for sure. But the fertility awareness method is because you're literally just looking at the signs that your body is giving you. I have taught several single women to use FAM. I will just say there's a disclaimer. It is 100% easier when you are in a committed relationship because right. you have to be a lot more open. So yeah, for example... My husband knows exactly when I'm fertile because I say, hey, <laughs> like I'm entering my fertile window right now, blah, 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 blah. Single women might not want to have that conversation. Yeah. Right. But that does not mean that it's not possible. This is actually a, a fun fact that maybe uh, your audience will appreciate. <laughs> when we are on hormonal birth control, we attract the wrong type of partner. So I have seen that a lot lately on like different things and looking back now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Valid. Absolutely valid. A thousand percent. I literally dated the worst kind of fuck boys when I was on birth control. Like (laughs) the worst. It was fuck boy central. Let me tell you what. (laughs) Terrible. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, they say that, I think it's like when you're on birth control, the person that you're attracted to is the person who you're most like, which is, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like describing that. That's upsetting. I know. (laughs) But you know, that's terrifying. You say opposites attract, right? Like we're supposed to be with someone who like matches us. So yeah, but you know, this was my experience when I came off of hormonal birth control, literally two months later, I met my husband. And he was very different from anyone else that I ever dated. And I've had several clients have that same experience. So it is just interesting too, when we come back to that dating conversation of like birth control is obviously the most comforting. If you are single, if you are sleeping around, you really don't have to worry about too many things. But Mm -hmm. 
you're not, you're maybe not going to be attracted to the right type of person for you. The other thing is that hormonal birth control, like seriously drops our libido. So you're on something where you can have sex no matter what, not have to worry about it, but you might not want to have sex as often. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing to think about too. Well, and too, it's also important to note, like there's no form is like a hundred percent foolproof too. Like I've had friends who've gotten pregnant when they were on birth control and using protection. So like, (laughs) you know, if it's meant to be, it's going to be. Definitely. But, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting, like the way that birth control does that, like it doesn't just make pregnancy much less likely. It makes you just not want to do it. And maybe that's why it works is because you're like, man, yeah, exactly. I really don't feel like it tonight. I've got a headache. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's so interesting. Going back to like the mental health piece of birth control mm-hmm. too, like it is a medication. And I feel like people don't always think about it like that because in my experience, I turned 16. I was having horrible period cramps. I have a family history of bad fibroids and ovarian cysts. And the second I went to that doctor and said, yeah, I'm having really bad cramping and it's not always when I'm just bleeding. They were like, Mm -hmm. boom, birth control. control. Yes. (laughs) And I was on birth control for 11 years. When I was in college, I was having such bad anxiety that I needed to be medicated for my anxiety. So I absolutely fully believe that there is a connection between what the medication is doing to prevent pregnancy, but it's also impacting your hormones, which then impacts your mental health. One of the things I found really helpful when I went off birth control, and it actually helped me, I think, even more than birth control, was I found a natural supplement called like Chase Tree Berry or something like that. Mm-hmm. And there's like a couple of other ones out there, but it really helped. Like my period cramps were definitely us. My period was actually regular for the mm-hmm. first time in my life. Mm-hmm. Even on birth control, it was never actually regular. Mm-hmm. So like, are there some things like that, some natural remedies that can also help or, you know, what's your experience with that? Yeah, there are. I just wouldn't, I don't like, the the information online is great because we're talking about it now, which is good. Right. But I do sometimes feel like there's a lot of TikToks that are like, this supplement healed my PCOS, this supplement regulated my cycle. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, it's not going to work for everybody. Right. The supplement that you're mentioning, Chase Tree or Vitex is another word for it. Yep. It is great and it can work well for women with PCOS, but it doesn't work for everybody. So I'm just a big fan of like, if you are looking to explore how to transition off of hormonal birth control, working with someone, and this could be if you have a good doctor that you trust and you can have that good conversation, go for it. I work with a lot of women. I have a program called Bye Bye Birth Control where I literally walk you through step by step of like how to support your body, how to eat properly to nourish your cycle, how to support your adrenals and thyroid, how to support your liver and gut health, because it is a process. You can definitely stop birth control cold turkey and be fine, but you're better off if you like start supporting your body so that you then can support your cycle after. So yeah, supplements are helpful, but it's nuanced. Ladies, speaking from experience, going cold turkey is rough. (laughs) Capitalized rough. Yep. Like, so that's, that is what I did. No, me too. (laughs) Or I knew better. It it was rough. It was so hard. 
you mentioned we talked like a little bit about how we are talking about it more. Do you feel like, as I know, especially, I don't know, I don't know how old you are, but when I was growing up, you know, you had like, you had to like nickname it and like hide the tampon like up your sleeve when you went to the bathroom mm-hmm. or like, this is why it was so great when they started making the little compact ones, you know, yes. that you could fit in your pocket. Like, do you feel that now it's definitely like a much more acceptable conversation to have? Or do you still feel like there's a little bit of an ick around talking about it? Awesome question. And I'm 32. So I definitely okay. experienced it. <laughs> so I have a funny story, I think, to go along with this. So I used to be a high school teacher while I was also running my business on the side. And now I transitioned to just doing my business full time. But I was teaching a class of seniors and I overheard one of my female students say to a, another girl at her table, like, oh yeah, I have my period, blah, 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 blah. And then she turned to the boy sitting right next to her and was like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. And I was just like, are we really still doing this? <laughs> like, are we still doing this? So I do think it's getting better. We are having mm-hmm. these conversations more, but I unfortunately still think even for this young, like Gen Z's, right? I think they even have a lack of education. Like we really oh, have yeah. a lack of education. Big time. (laughs) But I unfortunately (laughs) still think that it's not much better. I think maybe one more generation out will be getting Mm -hmm. big improvements, but there's definitely still an ick around it. Yeah, I agree with that. I came from an abstinence only state. So, Mm -hmm. like, we really, and yet, teen pregnancy capital of the country at one point. So, like, clearly working, clearly, guys, Mm -hmm. it's going great. I do feel like I think that women our age are talking about it more. It's kind of like, you know, like I also think that things like miscarriages were never discussed Mm -hmm. or talked about. And now we're very open about what happens, what the aftermath of that looks like. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think that our generation is helping to shift that because we are so willing to have those conversations. But I also think like Gen Z's parents, which might be some people our age. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. They, you know, there's still a little bit of lingering yeah. stuff from what they were given that they are kind of putting out there, right? Because that girl wouldn't naturally know to be ashamed of that. Yeah. It is a natural bodily function. Yep. And I do think that men have started to become a little more open mm-hmm. to like the conversation and learning about it. But there's a lot of, I agree, there's just a lot of still big ick around it. Yeah. And I think not to put all the responsibility on us all the time, but I think the men who are okay talking about it, it's because they have some female in their life who is open and comfortable talking about it. So yeah, they come from a family of women or (laughs) (laughs) yeah, for sure. And I think that that, it just, you know, it's sad. But not, I don't want to, I, if we talk about that much more, I'm going to go down a political rabbit hole and that's going to derail the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure we agree on a lot of, a lot of that, but, uh, yeah, but no, that'll, be, that'll have to be its own episode. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's like, that's honestly, I feel like I want to get this tattooed somewhere on my body. Every single woman I work with is like, why was I never taught this before? Mm-hmm. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's just sad. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I felt that way a lot. 
like a lot of the time. Like my my aunt here in Tennessee, she's like we call her Web WebMGG because she's just like a wealth of medical information. She comes from a family of doctors, but like also she just like understands it. She is not in the medical field by any means, but you know when she taught me more about my Hashimoto's mm. and like our late nine chats around her, her island than like I ever learned from the doctor or even doing my own research. And like, you know, she would ask me questions and I would be like, I didn't even know I needed to know that. Yes. Like, yeah. I think it's also like, you know, there's a lot of life skills we don't get grow like be in school growing up, not to mention like finances and all of that, which we've talked on the podcast before about, but there's a lot of like how like questions, like even how to just advocate for yourself with a medical professional. You know, you were talking before I had been asking for a hysterectomy since I was like 30. Mm -hmm. And now part of that was because insurance wouldn't cover it, that they wouldn't do it. But most of it was like, well, you're still of childbearing age. Mm -hmm. And I was like, listen, doc, statistically, if it could have happened, it would have happened. It has not. It has not. And also, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I will sign whatever paperwork you need me to sign to like, say I won't sue you for taking my uterus. Like, literally, I will absolve you of all liability Mm -hmm. down the road. But it was still like such a battle. And so when I found my doctor up here, and I went to her the first time and was like, I know I have fibroids, all of this. She actually listened. She did the ultrasound. It was great. But when it came to the hysterectomy, she was like, look, this is our first visit. Let's wait till next year. Also, because insurance won't cover it until you're 35. So I was like, okay, that's that's a valid, huh. that's a valid, you know, reason to postpone it. Sure. I would like yeah. to not pay for this major medical procedure. And so when I went back in, I was like so ready to like fight. Like I had amped myself up. I had prepped myself with knowledge, family history, because I was just like, every other doctor has made me question my own sanity Mm -hmm. whenever I have come in. And there's not like a very straight up answer on my blood work that is very clearly showing them what's wrong. Mm -hmm. They're just like, clearly you're fine. Like you're, it's just all in your head. Maybe it's anxiety. You should actually like maybe try to lose some weight, which is hysterical for somebody with Hashimoto's and PCOS. It's fucking hysterical. (laughs) I could literally starve myself and not lose a pound. Like and they they should understand that (laughs) as doctors, but you would think, but this doctor was great. And so when I went in for that next visit and she was like, so how are you feeling about the hysterectomy? I was like, I would still like to do it. And she was like, cool, schedule it on your way out. And then I kind of had like this adrenaline drop because I was like, I was so ready for a fight. (laughs) You had all of your points. You're like, wait, (laughs) I was finally armed and ready to go. I was like, if nobody else, especially as like a single person, you know, my family isn't nearby me, mm. you know, like nobody else is going to advocate for me. Right. I have to do it. I have to know my body well enough and be confident in the fact that some, like I know something is off mm. that I can advocate for this. And so I was just super grateful that I had finally found a doctor who like really listened to me when I told her what was going on. Mm-hmm. Cause she was like, we'll do the ultrasound just to see like what's going on yeah. since you have the family history. She didn't expect to find anything. We did find a fibroid. So I was like, there you go. Let's get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. Do it. <laughs> get it out. And, and that's a huge motivator for what I do. And like how I help women is when you can understand what's going on with your cycle, when you know exactly how many days you bleed for exactly how many days you're fertile for, 
And when you know how to spot red flags within that, you can then advocate for yourself. And I think that's the biggest problem is when you have a lack of knowledge about what's going on with your own body, how can you advocate for yourself? Right. You just trust that the doctors are like, going to know what to do. Right. So yeah, I think every woman really should like, I personally believe every woman should (laughs) invest in their cycle because it gives us so much information that we're just not able to get. You can't get that information from from blood work. You you can only get it through what your body is showing you. Your menstrual cycle is literally your monthly report card. Every single cycle, you get to see what's going on with your health. So it's a super powerful tool. Well, and I think it's also important to talk about two things. One, everybody's cycle is their own cycle, right? Like the 28-day thing that we were taught growing up is not accurate no. by any means. Nope. Your normal cycle could be 45 days. Your normal cycle could be 30. Like, and it's, but knowing that gives you the power to know when something is off. Absolutely. And I think that that is such a huge, huge thing that most people don't know. No. Right. But I think part the other second part of it is like we talked about, like being raised, I think in the era that we were, it was a lot of suck it up buttercup Mm -hmm. and push through it. And we didn't actually learn how to connect with our bodies or how to listen to our bodies because we were always told to push through it. Yep. I know a lot of times, even when I was sick, they're like, eh, you're fine, go to school. Yep. Well, you know what I mean? Like, literally, obviously, post COVID, that has changed. Thank God we finally are taking, you know, germs seriously. Yeah. But I think that, you know, finding ways to get in tune with your body, I know for me, it was always hard because it's like trauma and various things, mm-hmm. but like, Once I had my hysterectomy, like I felt like I was finally in tune with my body. Mm -hmm. Like, like I had to be leading up to it, right? Like to advocate for it. But like, especially once I had it and like during that recovery process, I had to be so intentionally in tune to make sure that like there was nothing going on because it was such a major surgery that like it really has changed how I live my life. It's why I left my corporate job and like started entrepreneurship and like really started learning about, you know, my energy cycles, even though I don't have a period, like I keep track of like my energy and like things like that to make sure that I'm not pushing myself to the point of burnout, which I think is our culture, right? Mm -hmm. Like burnout has become kind of a buzzword because it has become an epidemic. Yeah. Because we just push through. And I think if we can take the time to connect and, you know, work with somebody who can help us, right? Because it's not that easy, especially if you've, like, had trauma or, like, whatever to to feel safe or comfortable in your body, right? Like, disassociation can be the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, What are your tips? Like, if somebody outside of trauma, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if somebody wants to know, like, how they can be better in tune with their body, like, what are some practical things they can do. Sure. So your conversation that you were just saying about the burnout piece, I love that because we are living in a man's world. Like male hormones are completely different. They don't have a cycle. They just have every day. They have a 20, Mm -hmm. they have a 24 hour cycle. We Mm -hmm. have that 24 to 36 to however many days, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. our cycle. So in order to avoid burnout, we have to ebb and flow. That's how our hormones are. So in the first half of the cycle, as we're approaching ovulation, we're going to have more energy. We're going to be more social. So 
I think a place to start is just kind of like paying attention to the energy piece. Do you notice when you have your period, you're probably more low energy. That's totally normal. So it's like maybe create some kind of energy chart for yourself. Do you see changes going on throughout your cycle? Um, But yeah, more energy in the first half. After we ovulate, we want to start to slow down. So another way to think about the cycle is through the seasons. So when you have your period, it's your inner winter. In your Mm -hmm. follicular phase, as you're approaching ovulation, it's spring. Things are starting to ramp up and grow. When you're ovulating, it's summer. You're the most vibrant. You're the most energetic. And then in your luteal phase, which is after you ovulate, that's like the PMS phase. That's your Mm -hmm. inner fall. So things are starting to slow down. You're starting to turn more inward. So that's how I like to think about it tips as far as paying attention to that, just kind of tracking what's going on. So again, you can track your period. I teach how to track things like cervical mucus. So Mm -hmm. when you go to the bathroom and when you wipe with toilet paper, it's going to feel different at different points in the cycle because our hormones Mm -hmm. have an impact. We have infertile types of cervical mucus, and then we have fertile types of cervical mucus. I have Mm -hmm. a little free tracker that I will, if you want to link it in the Yeah, absolutely. It kind of goes into more detail as far as like how you can start paying attention to those things. And then you can apply it to the mood, the energy, how you feel. And then that's a good way to start living in tune with your cycle. I love it. I've actually bought, (laughs) I have ADHD. So I have planners everywhere. (laughs) I have them on my iPad. I have them paper. I have them all over the place. But one of the planners that I bought that's like on my iPad that I can use with like my pencil or whatever came with like this little wheel, mm-hmm. kind of like the feelings wheel, if anybody's ever seen that in therapy, but instead it's like a mood tracker. And so you designate like color, you color code it like for different moods and like each little wedge is a day. And so you can kind of see, you know, how you are feeling. You could use it. It's not necessarily like there's nothing on the wheel itself to say it has to be mood. It's just mm-hmm. like the title of the doc. You could use it for energy. I know that that's one of the things that really helped me kind of get into more of um, cycle syncing, which is a term that I just learned <laughs> earlier this year <laughs> from other entrepreneurs who were structuring their business around their cycles. So like on the weeks when they knew it was going to be low energy, they would block it off. No calls. Mm-hmm. Yep. which I thought was like so smart. Um, so yeah, I love that. Yeah. And definitely, we'll definitely link the tracker because I think that's going to be such a valuable resource to so many of the listeners. You know, if you had to leave people with like one final thought, what would it be? I think it would be that no matter what season of life you're in, no matter your situation, if you're on birth control and you're not really loving it, if you're dealing with super symptomatic PMS, irregular cycles, that that's not a life sentence. You are not stuck in that. There are options outside of those things, even though going back to the point (laughs) that, you know, Katie said a couple of times of like, suck it up buttercup. No, when it comes to your cycle, you do not have to live that way. So that's my, my final thought is that maybe you grew up that way, but that doesn't have to be your future stepping forward. I love that. I think that's super powerful and important. Thank you so much, Vicki. I have learned a lot. I have learned so much in a 
stuff. I probably wish I had learned when I had a uterus, but like, it's still going to help me. So where can people find you? How can they get in touch with you? Sure. So the best place to come find me is on my Instagram. My handle is at your.period.coach. So periods in between. I'm very active on there. I post a lot of great free content and resources. And if you have any questions or want to chat with me, just send me a DM and I'd be happy to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure to link that in the show notes for you guys, as well as her freebie. You know, as always, you can reach out to us at Ditch the Ick Pod on Instagram or ditchtheickpod at gmail.com. We are always open and taking listener stories, Q&As, whatever you want to send in, horror stories, icks, you name it. And you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ditchtheick. Starts at $5 a month. You'll get access to the videos of every episode, as well as some exclusive bonus content that nobody else will get to see. So we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on Ditch the Ick. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Ditch the Ick Pod. You can shoot us DMs, listener stories. In our highlights, you'll see some listener story prompts. You can share them with us anonymously or with your name. It's up to you. But we always love to connect and get to know you on social. And if you haven't already, head to patreon.com slash ditch the ick. You'll see a couple of different levels where you can subscribe and get access to exclusive content, get early access to the videos. In some cases, you get first dibs on listener stories. So make sure you head over there and subscribe. It really helps keep this going. If you're looking to join the community, meet some other single people, maybe you need some new friends, share your thoughts, comments, responses to the episode. You can head over to Facebook. We've got a free private group called Ditch the Ick. And it's going to be a really safe space for us to share our stories, connect, and make friends. 